uh, different psalms. We've spent most of this summer in the book of Psalms and looking at different psalms kind of each week. We're, we're not going to look at all 150 of them, but we are looking at some of my favorites and hopefully some of yours. We're in Psalm 34 this morning, so if you've got a Bible, open it up to Psalm 34. We saw a portion of this psalm in our call to worship this morning. I'm going to read the whole thing now. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. With a righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a psalm like Psalm 34. Uh, We need it, Lord, because we oftentimes are those who are brokenhearted, who feel beaten down. And this is comfort for us. Lord, as, as David proclaims and calls us into, we ask even as we take a look at your word this morning that you would lift our voices and our hearts in praise, that we might even join in with him in singing those praise. Father, will you open your word to us, soften our hearts, and open our eyes, unstop our ears, that we might hear you and see you and know you more deeply. Lord, open my mouth to declare your praise even this morning and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we just got back from vacation and we went uh, to the beach, which was really a lot of fun. And, you know, vacations are, have realized are interesting for the McCollum family, mostly for 
Derek McCollum. They're interesting. Uh, because I've kind of realized that I, I just have a hard time knowing what to expect out of vacation. I have this enormous kind of pile of expectations, and they just kind of build on one another. And, of course, you can't ever get everything out of uh, a vacation. And so normally the way that it goes is, is right about mid-afternoon of the first day, when I have built up this expectation, my family's going to have a fabulous time together, and we're just going to bond with each other, and I'm going to get to rest, and we are going to have this wonderful vacation time. Right about 3 o'clock that first day, when all of those expectations have just piled on each other, I end up kind of cracking and blowing up at somebody and saying, you're driving me crazy! Stop it! And then like by day two, we're kind of okay. It just kind of starts over and everything's all right. But it, it all just kind of comes to this head because I have these huge expectations. This idea of being kind of just driven crazy by what life brings at you, even when you're on vacation, I'm sure a lot of you can identify with. If you've got a Bible and it's got this kind of opening inscription at the very beginning of the psalm, listen, listen to what it says. This is a psalm of David. When he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. That's the, that's the, uh, the context for the psalm. That's the context within which Psalm 34 was, was written. It comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 21. David has been anointed the king, but he's not yet taken the throne. And Saul, who is the king, is trying to kill him. So David's on the run from Saul, who is the king, who's trying to kill David. And David has run kind of into the wilderness. And then having found no other place to go, he runs actually to the king of the Philistines. Now, if you know David's story a little bit, you know that the Philistines are Israel's kind of arch enemy. In fact, David's fame started by killing the Philistine champion, the giant Goliath. But for whatever reason, David thinks this will be a good idea. I'll run away from Saul and I'll run into the army of the people that hate me the most. Maybe he's thought um, they've forgotten about me. They won't recognize me. Well, that's not really the case. He comes and the king does recognize him. He sees him as David and he immediately says, oh, isn't this David basically the guy who killed our giant Goliath? And David kind of being beaten down from both sides with all of this kind of on top of him literally kind of goes crazy. He, he, uh, the Psalm says he changes his behavior. He starts acting like a madman. He starts foaming at the mouth. He starts babbling. He starts going crazy. He has literally been driven crazy by the circumstances around him. And then he's driven off into this cave. And what chapter 22 tells us, that's <laughs> great the way it says this. Basically, everybody that was kind of um, in distress or in debt or with a broken spirit, they all came and gathered around David. So not only is David going crazy, but all of the people who are also going crazy have gathered around. So we've got this big pile of like 400 crazy people gathered in a cave together. That does not sound good. But I think probably some of us can identify with some of those feelings. To feel like things have just pressed in so deeply on you that it truly is just kind of driving you crazy or simply beating you down. That you feel broken hearted. That you feel broken in spirit. That you feel beat down. Maybe that's a physical ailment. Maybe that's um, kind of being felt like you're stuck in a career that you hate. Or it's difficulty with a friend and conflict there. Or a child who has gone wayward or who is enduring serious difficulty. All of those things are things that can make us feel broken hearted, depressed, 
deeply wounded and broken down. And really the question that Psalm 34 asks for us is, is there hope for broken hearted people? Is there hope for us when we feel beaten down by the world? When we even feel beaten down by our own choices maybe, our own particular sins or the sins of others? Is there hope for us when we're in those times? Well, the resounding answer from God's word is yes. We're going to look at this psalm and we're going to actually kind of travel backward in this psalm. So look first uh, at verse 18. David says here that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. If you have ever felt brokenhearted, if you have ever felt crushed in your spirit, this is wonderful news, is that the Lord actually draws near to us. This word is the same word that's used of when Moses came near to God on Mount Sinai. When Moses came face to face with God in all of his holiness in this consuming fire that was settled upon Mount Sinai, that's the same word, that's the same kind of nearness. Except that it's God here drawing near to us. It's God taking the initiative to come and be near the brokenhearted. He's got this radar that just comes like a heat-seeking missile to find people that are broken, that are crushed, that are wounded, that are depressed. And it's the Lord who draws near to them. And then look at verse uh, 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. If you're a parent, you know what this is like, to have your eyes and your ears toward your child, right? To know, like, I know exactly how many steps it's going to be from here to that swing when they fall out of that swing. I know exactly where my child is at every moment so that I can jump in there and save them if I need to. My ears are attuned to their cry. The absolute worst night of sleep I've ever had in my life was the, was the night that we brought Virginia home, our first child home. I didn't sleep a wink that night because my ears are always thinking like, is she breathing? Was that a weird breath? Is she okay? Is she turned over on her side? Is she supposed to be, you know, it's like always things going through your head and it's keeping me awake because my ears are toward my child. That is the way that Psalm 34 says that God is, uh, is focused on us, particularly when we're in pain particularly when we are in distress, particularly when we feel broken down and broken hearted, his eyes and his ears are toward us. And what's more, his heart is toward us to provide for us, to give us what we need and to fill us. Keep traveling up the psalm and look at verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. If you gave me a list of like things that were lacking, lion would be really, really low on the list. Like I think lions, like those are the guys that they're not lacking anything. Everything's fine. But God says that even the young lions lack more than God's people do. That God actually comes to provide for his people in their brokenness, in their difficulty, in their sadness. He comes to give them what they need to provide for them. When I was studying uh, this psalm... I just kind of got fascinated with this uh, mention of lions, and so I started to research lions a little bit. And um, I never really known kind of the way that lions function, but it's pretty fascinating. 
You probably know this, that in a, in a pride, that's a group of lions, uh, it's the females who do most of the hunting. So it's the lionesses are the ones who actually go out and they hunt and they bring the food in. And uh, a male lion um, really fulfills about four major functions. Um, he, he makes other lions. He lays around. He eats. And then he just kind of generally looks cool. Like that, that, That's really what a male lion does. Most of their life is actually spent on those things. In fact, um, 20 hours of the day, scientists will tell you, uh, a male lion literally just lays around, like with a remote control in his hand. And he just kind of lays there, and um, and then for those remaining four hours, they are spent um, eating the food that his woman has brought for him, um, making other small lions, and literally like an hour a day they spend flexing and prancing. Okay, so just like strutting around, like doing this with the mane, and just looking awesome in front of everybody. That's their life. Now, let's just be really honest, guys. That sounds awesome. Okay? That is like misogynist nirvana right there. Like, that's all that they do all the time. But isn't it interesting? When we are in those places of feeling kind of broken down... When we are in the places particularly of woundedness and of being brokenhearted, that those are the things that we turn to quite often. Men especially. Food and drink. Sex. Leisure. Those are the things that we oftentimes turn to that make us feel like they're going to fulfill us. That make us feel kind of like maybe we can be kind of this prancing lion once again. Maybe we can feel like we have power, like we have strength, like we're whole. It happens for all of us. It happens in some really insidious ways for pastors, honestly. Because it's oftentimes when I feel wounded, I think, well, I'll just, I'll just go and get some, some good feelings from others. I'll spend some time counseling some people. I'll listen to them telling me how great I am and how much I've helped them. And that'll make me feel like I'm whole again. But there's something else really interesting about lions. Uh, if you look at any typical pride, it's about two-thirds or more female lions. They far outweigh the male lions. And there's a reason for that. Is that when a male lion is about two years old, they will kick him out of the pride. And he will have to literally go and just wander. And wander around and try to carve out for himself a home, a new pride. And he will come upon another pride. And that pride usually has kind of a male lion who's dominant there. And so if this, if this new young lion comes up, he'll have to fight the leader of this other pride. And he'll have to actually kill that lion. And then he'll actually kill all of the young lions around so that, so that all of the progeny can be his. So, if a lion lives to be 10 years old, if a male lion lives to be 10 years old, they are severely beaten, deeply scarred, heavily wounded. Those things even that we turn to in very similar ways, not only leave us empty, but leave us wounded. Leave us in worse places than we were to begin with. The things that we oftentimes go to, the things that Tim Keller calls counterfeit gods, the things that we think are going to fill us, they leave us more empty than we started. It's like salt water. The more you drink it, the thirstier you become. Or you could say that they are empty consumables. 
consume, consume, to make us feel like we're built up and powerful, like we're this prancing lion, but they leave us empty. My grandmother used to call donuts uh, empty calories. That's what she said they were, empty calories. And if you've ever listened to the sports commentator Jim Rome, maybe you've heard him uh, talk about donuts. He, he talks about the law of diminishing returns as it relates to Krispy Kreme. And uh, he, he says this, you've probably experienced this if you've ever walked into a Krispy Kreme donut shop. You walk in there, and immediately the first thing that happens is what? Somebody hands you a donut. Like, I mean, the greatest thing that could ever happen. You walk in the door, and someone hands you a hot donut that's just, like, just out of the grease donut. And you eat that first donut, and you think, this is the most wonderful thing that I've ever put in my mouth, right? This is the nectar of the gods, and I need more of this. It's amazing. And so, of course, their plan works perfectly that you walk away from there and you walk up to the counter and you say, I need more of this. And so you buy donuts and you buy the second donut and you eat that second donut and it's pretty good. But it's not as good as the first one. And so you think in your mind, well, huh, second one wasn't that first one was so good. Second was, you know, kind of kind of was pretty good, but like maybe it was just a dud. So maybe I should try again. So then you go for donut number three, still hoping to get donut number one feeling back. And donut number three, of course, leaves you pretty much running straight for the bathroom. I think they train the Krispy Kreme employees this way. Like, hand a donut, take the money, point to the bathroom. That's just kind of like the way that it goes. Because it leaves you emptier than where you started. That is the way that our idols leave us. When we search for wholeness and fullness outside of Jesus, it will leave us not only unfulfilled, but actually worse off than we were to begin with. So here's the question. Is there something that feeds us? Well, look again at Psalm 34 and look at verse 8. David says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What a beautiful proclamation inviting us in to taste the goodness of the Lord, to see his goodness, to come and to feed on things that are not empty consumables, to come and feed on things that actually fill us, to come and to feed on his goodness and his grace. And as we keep kind of traveling upward, we look at verses 1 through 4. Listen to these again. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Friends, that actually answers this question of where can we go to taste this goodness? What does it mean to come and taste the goodness of the Lord? It's found in those first few verses. Did you hear it? To draw near to the Lord in praise... To seek the Lord uh, where he is to be found and to do it together. I will bless the Lord at all times. My soul makes boast in the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me, right? That is worship. That is praise. We come to the Lord there. And then here in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And throughout all of this, David is saying, come and do this with me. So we have this threefold kind of um, uh, plan for what it looks like to come and taste the Lord's goodness. We come to him in worship, in praise, to magnify his name, to bless him. We seek him in prayer and in worship, and we do so together with others. Christians for centuries have called these um, the means of grace. 
The way that God comes and deals with us, the way that he gives us the goodness of what he has, the way that he offers us himself, is in regular things. His word, worship, his table, and baptism, in prayer, and in his people. That is the way that we can come and taste the Lord's goodness. It's regular, simple stuff. Now, if you know this psalm well, maybe you know that um, it's, it's actually an acrostic poem. You know what an acrostic is? Uh, it follows the letters of the alphabet. Uh, this one following the letters, of course, of the Hebrew alphabet. So we've been working it backwards, but I want you to see even just how the beginning and the end tie together. He starts by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But look at the very last line, verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That last line is the motivation for the first line of praise. David says, come and join me in praise. Come and magnify the Lord with me. Why? Because it's the Lord who redeems. It's the Lord who has tasted not the goodness of God, but actually tasted his wrath so that we might feel the wholeness, that we might feel his goodness. It's the Lord who has taken our afflictions upon himself so that we might be relieved of those afflictions. It's the Lord who has laid down his life for us so that we might come and join together and sing his praise. That is the motivation for opening our hearts. So let me invite you again this morning to come magnify the Lord with me. He is good even to those who are brokenhearted. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we um, we thank you for this wonderful news that you have come and drawn yourself near to those who are beaten down, to those who feel heavy, or to those who feel like their soul has been crushed. Lord, for all of us, whether we're in one of those times or not, we ask that you would open our mouths to declare your praise that we might magnify you together. And that in doing so, Lord, you might shape and form us to be those who move toward you rather than away. To come and to find our fullness in you rather than the empty consumables of power, money, sex, acceptance. Lord, will you show us more and more of what it looks like to draw close to you in those ways, even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.